0: Hey, Verse Chorus Versers, D.L. here. We are winding down on season one, getting close to recording our finale episode. It's gonna be a great time with all four of us. The main question is, do you have any questions for us? Put it out there on Instagram and we actually got some pretty cool questions. So I'm putting it out on the pod too. Do you have anything for us? Write us at contact at versechorusverse.com or DM us on Instagram at Verse Chorus Verse Pod. We will answer them. We'll answer almost all of them. Some of them I've gotten, we won't answer. But if you are at least semi well behaved, we will. Thank you. Good night and good luck. Coming up on Verse Chorus Verse, Kevin McGuire, the front man behind the project Gamma Senen. He joins me to talk music, have a few drinks, get into this project that is just fantastic. All right, welcome to episode 39 of First Course verse I am DL introducing you to Kevin McGuire. Wow. Kevin, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing good, man. Any day I could have a cold beer and talk music is a good day.
0: A, beer, I've got a you, beer, you got something to smoke, and you've got a hockey fantasy draft in a couple hours. I do.
1: I've actually with my buddy Brad, he plays bass in the Bronx for years. Okay, I'm pretty good at that stuff because I like mindless maps, stats, and rain puzzles. Yeah. You no, know, it's like, and I like to play like fantasy football. I don't even like football, I'd be on the road touring and. I would destroy teams, or at least in 2020. I don't count last seasons as seasons, really. You know, they, everybody gets an asterisk for last year. I was about to fucking win it. <laughs> I, was in, I was in first place. I was destroying teams, and COVID hit. Hopefully, we're at a point where we're lapping a little bit about it. I'm sorry if anybody lost their lives. My heart goes out. Everyone has been affected differently, but goddamn it, my fucking fantasy team. I was about to win. <laughs>
0: Well, you're a musician, and I mean, in an echelon of people that were affected most by COVID as far as occupation, musicians are on the top of that list.
1: Yeah, I'm also a concert touring technician. So, like, I've been a roadie my whole life. I used to play in this band called Alternator, and I had another band called Alarma. I was a kid, we had worked with Steve Albini who did like Nirvana and, Jane? Uh, you know, you know Steve Albini. And we'd worked with Dave Jordan, which I know you know, yeah. because you're such an Alice in Chains fan. And we had worked with Dave Ketching at the Rancho de la Luna. It was very close to after the time period that Fred Drake passed away. And you can watch all the history of Rancho de la Luna on like you know, the Dave Grohl, Sonic Highways, I think it's called. And there's a lot of stuff. Dave's a great guy and a lot of great records have come out of there over the years and they really created kind of a genre. So I had that band and then I had this other band called Alarma. And Alarma is basically like the first generation of this project, you know?
0: Yeah, it's on Bandcamp. A couple songs are on Bandcamp and they're good too. They're a little more rock rock. Yeah, The names are going to come up in this interview, like Queens of the Stone Age, that sort of genre, Eagles of Death Metal style stuff. And that's kind of a little bit of what it reminds me of.
1: Yeah. Those songs were done, say like 2005 and 2006 with Manny Nieto. He also recorded under the name Francis Murata. That was recorded in the studio uh, that used to be in Highland Park. The Mars Volta recorded there. The Bronx did a lot of work. Carla from Autolux was kind of in that scene. Manny had a band called Distortion Felix that used to play a lot with Girls Against Boys. So Joby Ford from the Bronx, who did the artwork on my record, he's been a really good friend of mine for a long time. Like we used to rehearse down the hall from each other when the Bronx were just starting up, you know, as a part of that. And, Truth of the matter is, is like, and Joby and I joke about this all the time. There was a lot of really great bands that were coming out in LA and everybody came to everybody's shows and we supported each other. Uh, Silver Sun pickups were kind of like the last of my generation of that.
0: Yeah, and the ones that really, they took off. Yeah. I don't know what it was about them that, and I'm not saying they're bad or anything. I'm just saying, I don't know what it was about them that they got huge. Well, kind of out of nowhere. There was a lot of cocaine back
1: in those days. And maybe those guys (laughs) didn't exactly uh, do as much as other people. But, you know, (laughs) We all used to have a really good time back in those days, and my hat is off to anyone that could have survived those years. (laughs) Uh, But at that time period of my life, it wasn't really, you know, I was a mess, and I had a bad relationship.
0: And at this time, you would have been early 20s, right? 25, yeah,
1: Yeah, early 20s. And I was yeah. married to a Japanese girl for a green card, all this oh. so much broken stuff. <laughs> and I'll, you know, this will all like really make sense and like the concept of the album. I was trying to get the version of Alarma going. We were doing shows with Kui and the Burning Brides. Uh, we played a show with Gaslight Anthem. Uh, mm. The Bronx took us to San Diego with them and. I've never been a person where, like, it matters to me. I mean, I wish like we could all be like Led Zeppelin and you two and we never play with anybody but the original members. But the truth of the matter is, if you have a direction and you're trying to achieve something, you kind of, I have always taken kind of the Trent Reznor approach or the Josh Homme approach. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because we're all born on the same birthday and really yeah we're all like may babies and so we're torses you know (laughs) and uh we're very opinionated and stubborn and we just kind of go and do our thing and you know does it take a village and a collaborative process to make everything of course it does but in order to get things done by the time we were playing shows it was adam maples who mm-hmm. is also the drummer on the Gammasen
0: record. He's in Earthlings, isn't he? Or he, He's he, in the
1: Earthlings. He was mm-hmm. in Sea Hag. There's either a tape or I think they did a live show where it was Adam playing drums with Slash and uh, Izzy and Duff and Iggy Pop was singing. <laughs>
0: Pop was singing oh god.
1: <laughs> right? And really close friend of mine and like almost like a father. So he was in the band and then my friend Jeff Signs was also in the band, and Jeff is very dear to my heart. Jeff was in a band called The Strays with Toby Marriott. Th- Jeff uh, moved to Dallas, where he started a recording studio called Modern Electric Studios, which I was just there recently because Jeff, unfortunately, about two months ago, he went outside during a blackout, and uh, it was a down power line in his front yard, and he suffered some like very very life-altering injuries. Oh man! Where uh, he woke up. 11 days later, and they had to amputate his left hand, and then they went on to amputate his right arm. There is a GoFundMe page and a link on this and how to find that on my band's uh, link tree. And there's articles about it in uh, the Rolling Stones and all sorts of stuff. Jeff was the bass player in my band. And we were doing great. We had a lot of fun. Uh, You know, It was great when I was seeing Jeff because he remembers it so fondly. And, uh, I don't remember most of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I got an opportunity through doing like the tech work that I did to go on the road with some big bands. And I was, I would be working on like big award shows, like the Grammys, the VMAs and things like that. So it was hard to start being a human being and being a musician, you know, like I was yeah. kind of like a one eggs, one basket type of situation. And i had to make decisions in my life that would allow me the ability to be a human being and then i always said if i got once i get my life settled i'm gonna do the thing that i've always wanted to do 10 years later i kind of wake up out of the touring haze circle of life of the touring world where you're you know i think janice joplin said it best you could like play in front of a thousand people or thousands of people a night but you know you go back to an empty hotel room you know obviously i'm paraphrasing and you no, know, know things yeah. became very temporary i'd come home i'd be perpetual cycles and stuff i had the the means to accomplish it uh i didn't think it was going to take five years you know i just had to do a record i was in china on like a treadmill and i was trying to figure out what my next steps were going to be <laughs> and i just remember reaching out to dave catching on an email and just being like dave i want to i'm going to make a record and I want you to be involved with it. And I am going to come to the Rancho and I'm going to book like 11 days. I've read that Iggy Pop and Josh made a record in 11 days. So, <laughs> so can I. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I was working on this big TV show in China and I was touring with Duran Duran and Sheik doing video system stuff. And I was really inspired to get something done that would be bigger than me and not for someone else yeah i had songs from back in the day i had songs that i had written you know I, the song i kill you is a song that would have been recorded with those two songs that are on bandcamp dead space and blacklist i booked 11 days in october four months away wow. i hadn't really been playing guitar like i would be i hadn't really been singing you know i didn't really have a community of musicians and you know, and then I started putting the pieces together. I was introduced to Hayden Scott, who used to mm-hmm. play in like AWOL Nation. He lives out in Joshua Tree and he plays in another big band. Then I went on tour and I would be working and went to Nashville. And Keith Morris from Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and Off mm-hmm. has always been a really good friend of mine. I met him during the alternator days. He'd always been very, very supportive. So I went to go see Flag Play at the exit in and i was talking to him about like hey i'm gonna make this record what do you think i should do and he's like well kevin who's producing it you know he's like a weirdo he's a fucking he's such a weirdo i love him and um and i'm like well dave catching is gonna produce the record and he's like dave catching is a guitar player and he he was right he's like you need yeah. someone to produce this record you need to get like chris goss or alan johannes or manny who did the other stuff and i was i was like i don't want to go to Joshua Tree and go to the Rancho, which I had recorded at when in the early stages, like I said, and make another, I didn't want to make a Queens of the Stone Age record. I didn't want to be like every other band that goes out there and takes a picture in front of the Sun Valley sign and listens yeah. to nothing but Desert Session records while they're driving up. the the road and looking at the windmills and like taking pictures of the trees like i you know like have i done all those things i wasn't not the kaya sky valley thing i haven't done that but uh (laughs) i you know you do these are things you do as a music fan when you're in the area where things are made you know like you feel like you're going back to hollow grounds i don't want to go that route so he told me to then Like through my lighting career, my brother's also um, a big lighting director and creative director. He's done like, he was the guy that made Kanye West floating stage. He was also a part of Daft Punk's Alive tour. I met Peter Franco because I needed someone to help me do an install for the Grammys. And Peter came out and he like helped install these lighting fixtures into a staircase. Fast forward to 2013 or 14, he walks up those same stairs to win a Grammy for being a part of uh, Random Access yeah. Memories. And yeah. Daff, Peter and I, you know, relationships come, ebb and flow. And like he was a good friend and, and somebody that was connected to the family. So I could kind of, I felt like I could be vulnerable in front of him, you know, yeah. and like I've yeah. got him and he's crazy expensive. And, you know, Alan is amazing. And I, you know, I definitely. I've spent a little bit of time with him and he's a great guy, but I just didn't want to make a Queens record. Yeah. You know, we've started practicing and we started writing songs and I used most of my Duran Duran tour to write songs in hotel rooms and in different cities. Nile Rodgers was opening up for him. So like, you know, I'd have conversations with Nile Rodgers about Led Zeppelin and catering. It was really inspired. And you know, riding in back lounges and my head was clear and I was focused. And we, right before we went to the first session, I worked on desert trips. So I was like driving from LA to, to rehearse and working on this Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones. And, you know, we saw Neil mm-hmm. Young at a small concert backstage, you know, playing. <laughs> and so I had all this like really great energy. We took it into the Rancho and we recorded drums and got a lot of what, the essence of the Gama Senen is. We knew what guitars we needed now. We knew that we wanted to make the songs longer. Like, Peter and I worked really hard about like what type of record I wanted to make. And he listened. I wanted to make something that was like theatrical. I didn't want to make a bunch of fucking songs. I don't care about Spotify, even it would be nice if there was like 100,000 listeners every month, please. But you know, like I wanted to make something that was for me because the end result was, to take the record out of this vinyl sleeve and light a joint and put it on on my turntable. Because when I was younger, Mm -hmm. it was all about like, whether the vice president of BMI was gonna like my record and it would give me ulcers and I couldn't focus and like, it just wasn't working. So it wasn't about anything else other than like, I have a career, I'm gonna use it to make something out of it. You know, that journey, it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to, which is fine. You know, I was able to work with a lot of really interesting people and characters and really get things like, we recorded V drums first. Then we recorded like scratch ideas oh, yeah. over it. So like we worked really hard on, on on making this thing sound bigger than they were. And at one point we realized we weren't going to get the bass that we needed out there. So we put the bass on the shelf and then Peter was like, okay, well, the first person we need to bring out on this record is Chris Caswell. Now, Chris Caswell is Paul Williams' musical director. And if you know anything about Paul Williams, he's the head of, I think, ASCAP. And he was in... My personal favorite movie ever, The Phantom of the Paradise, which happens to be where Daft Punk gets their helmets, right? Like my brother is in the BBC documentary of Daft Punk and making that record. And he interviews Paul Williams. Wow. Chris also, his big claim to fame is he wrote a Muppet's Christmas Carol and he was the original piano On the 70s Muppet show.
0: Whoa, wait, he wrote the Muppets Christmas Carol? Yeah. Like the music? Like the movie. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Didn't he play keyboards or something like that for Daft Punk? He
1: did. And the reason why he played keyboards is because Daft Punk, such a Paul Williams fan, they called Paul Williams, and Chris came and played on the record. Now, you ask Peter... Peter will say that, you know, he basically wrote Get Lucky, probably started (laughs) with his first jam, you know, but everybody gets paid. So that's how writer credit works. And you hire, you hire, right? So he comes out and we do like 50 second mark. And we kind of start realizing that keyboards were going to be like a really big thing on this record. Mm -hmm. And it went from, me and my guitar player and Dave Catching maybe playing on a track or two. To It's like a beast I had to feed,
0: right? It is one of the things that I love about this album. And I think one of the things, like you said that you didn't just want to make another fucking Stones album. And I think one of the things that really sets this apart, the kind of, it's a lot more journey-esque with your keyboard work and almost a little bit of a doorsy vibe sometimes, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. just the complete opposite. But it's still... It blends together so well. Thank you. You can tell the keyboards and the Korg work or whatever they're using must have been a huge part <laughs> There's a lot of stuff of on there.
1: I'm a big fan and believer, like I've done a lot of all sorts of bad things to myself over the years. But the, the one thing that's always helped me in certain time periods when used correctly is the power of certain psychedelics. Yeah. When I was on tour with Duran Duran, I was sitting backstage one day and like I was came home from a tour and, and my fiance at the time, like it was not going to work. She left. I go back out on the road, the first leg of tour. I'm like a guy that's excited about getting married and not playing music. The second leg of the tour, I'm a single guy that just met now my (laughs) girlfriend, Serena, who I love very, very much. And, you know, I couldn't have done any of this without her. So I like come back out on tour and I've like got a guitar now and I'm recording in all these rooms and I'm sitting backstage one day and you know, you're in these big giant sheds and who knows where I was. And I get one of these emails from Southwest, like you want to get away? And I was like, God, do I want to get away? <laughs> yes, you know, and I used to live in London. I'm like I, I want to get away. And I had like all the points from my, all the yeah. my years of traveling. And I was like, I wonder how many points it would take to go somewhere where like, I don't have to wear shoes for a week. And mm-hmm. like Costa Rica, Uh, Liberia Airport from LAX was that spot. And I found like this surf shack in a field off the town of the dirt road called Playa Negra. My buddy sent me some LSD from Switzerland. And (laughs) I went down there. I like, went on a vision quest, you know, like. And uh, it's a very secluded town. You know, I wrote 50 second mark on, in this like, jungle thing, like the demos of that. Then the guitar that I brought got warped from the uh, humidity. So I just kind of took it all in in the beach. And you know, like the song La Ventana and the photographer, La Ventana is the name of the juice bar that uh, is the only shack restaurant off the street that I lived on. That song really sounds like walking alone at night on the beach or watching the sunrise with the stars and listening to all the animals and the air. Their culture is preserving nature, I tried to put my journey into the record. And that's why, like, it says act one, act two, act three. And it doesn't say sides on the record, because it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be destroying an old version of yourself. Every one person has a choice between A or B to C. One of the things that I love
0: about this album that another thing that you don't get anymore and that you don't get from things like Spotify and, and that sort of thing is if you put this album on, If you listen to the vinyl, as you should, there are many times where you don't know what song you're on anymore. You don't know when I Kill You stops and when the next song starts. There are multiple times on this album where the songs blend together. Artists don't do that anymore.
1: Thank you, Uh, I mean, that. thank you very much.
0: Cliche question here, but uh, influences. Who do you consider to be your influences?
1: You know, I was a big fan of Nirvana and Alice in Chains and everything. I was 14 when Kurt Cobain killed himself. So like bands that I really, really loved and the records that I listened to were Nine Inch Nails Broken. Mm -hmm. I used to like walk my dog and listen to that record on on my CD walk band. The dog knew where to sit down so I could smoke pot, (laughs) you know, like, and I was like 13, you know, or 14 years old, and, um, you know, I kind of was in that, you know, when Radiohead started making OK Computer, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I really liked Miles Davis' Bitches Brew. Did I like punk rock music and metal and stuff like that? Of course I did, but at a certain point, it just didn't go anywhere for me. And yeah. like I like Miles Davis' Sketches of Spain and the Maya, Mahavishnu Orchestra and John McLaughlin and John Coltrane and Jimmy Smith and Kenny Burrell and Bill Evans' piano work. So, you know,
0: I... So you do have a lot of jazz influences.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, awesome. I'm not a jazz guitar player. I learned how to play guitar from Nirvana songs and Smashing Pumpkins songs. Mm-hmm. But even the Smashing Pumpkins were like, you know, they were like a prog rock... 90s alternative band they weren't grunge they were from chicago you know every guitar player wants to be in a heavy band and anyone that tells you any different is fucking lying to you (laughs) and um unless this new generation i don't know what the hell they're listening to but i don't like We don't play
0: guitars anymore back in my
1: day we owned our own goddamn (laughs) skateboards we didn't have these bird scooters and there were more birds (laughs) um (laughs) I like to listen to my jazz records. I like Royal Blood. That was really cool. What they came out with, but again, that's like a Josh Homme connection thing, you know. Which
0: you can tell immediately. Of course, some of those songs, like
1: (laughs) that, comes from Chris Goss too, you know. And you know, for me, I wanted to make a record where you could put it on and it would be an experience, and that meant connecting things together and letting things flow because I love. Somebody put a blog up and it was called Written in Blood and it had like five volumes of it. And it was all horror film soundtrack music. Sirius Satellite used to have a channel called Cinemagic. So I would drive around Los Angeles all the time or, you know, wherever I was, I listened to all this horror music stuff. When you listen to soundtrack music, when you're driving, it makes no sense, you know, so there's no rhythm to it and it kind of like... You know, somebody's crossing the street to tubular bells, like da-na-na-na-na, you know, like whatever. Yeah,
0: where did the name come from, Gamasenen?
1: You know, obviously, I was going on a journey myself of rediscovery and rebirth. Like, even the fact that the Gamasenen became the band's name, it was like going to be Alarma, and I was going to release those two songs, and I already had a box of stickers. And then somebody trademarked the name, and I didn't know it, so I had to figure it out. And I had always <laughs> been connected to Japanese mythology, and the-, the Gamasenen is a mountain man that's always surrounded by toads, And it said that if you were to eat his herbs or pills, you would find immortality and live forever. So, like, I have a bunch of Japanese art tattoos and stuff like that that I got. One of them was always a three-legged toad because I had connected to this mythology. You know, the hero's journey um, is a great narrative for all art. Yeah, You know, I was a big fan of the Phantom of the Paradise, which is basically the story of Faust. You know, the songs were, they kept growing because we didn't just go and record and be like, okay, that's what we got. We would go and record and we'd take it all in and then we'd go somewhere and listen to it and put it together. And the first step after the Rancho, we went to John Avila's house. Now, John Avila was in a small band <laughs> called Oingo Boingo. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, he wrote... Which I love, by the way. Yeah. They've, like, I've I've loved them for since i was a kid of
1: course i mean it, yeah. I, I mean of course it's only go boingo i mean yeah basically when we were at the rancho peter set me down one day and he's like look man we're not going to get bass we're going to find another bass player we're going to get we're going to do this later we're going to get drums we're going to get vibe we're going to call chris caswell right so that's the recording process and then like i go home and i called Joby, who's a big part of this journey now you know peter first off is now a five-time grammy award winner fresh off of winning grammys so he's like got some swagger to him and he's like we want to get lee Scalar or somebody else and i'm like who the lee Scalar? you know he's i don't know if you know who he is but he's like got a giant beard and he is amazing but like like where do you think the money's coming from (laughs) you know like i'm not daft punk i can't like open a pop-up store and make two million dollars this weekend i gotta go back on the road (laughs) and come back and do this you know i didn't know this but john avila had produced all of the mariachi del bronx records so i called Joby, and i'm like i need a bass player he's like best musician i know is this guy john avila reach out to him and do i know Oingo boingo of course i do but did i know that john avila was the or- bass player of oingo boingo absolutely not so when i reached yeah. out to him he was just another guy to me and yeah. <clears throat> i uh, was like hey man i got this thing going on here are two songs that i've done before and Joby said that you're the guy and he's like yeah man i'm the guy I love your music. (laughs) Come on over. And I went over and John's got crazy stories about, like, recording Dead Man's Party in the same time that Prince was recording Purple Rain. They played basketball together. And like, we've gone on. I invited him to be like a full time member of the band. And he accepted, which was just wow, you know, to be surrounded by such talent. And he brought the level in two days, just like up the ante on this record. So he starts, he's like, I want to play with the fretless. Do you guys mind? And we're like, no. I didn't. Yeah. We just kind of let him do what he was going to do. He used a whammy pedal and played slap bass. I would, I would never ever be like, hey, they put a whammy pedal on this. Yeah. He's so creative bass and proficient.
0: The is, is a monster on this album. It's the altitude. It's monstrous.
1: He puts this setting and, and we're like, what's that? He's like, oh, this is the sound that we used for like all the Battlestar Galactica series. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I was at a point in my life where I had picked music back up because I had put it down and it made me miserable and I was like I picked it back up and here I am like you know I don't want to sound arrogant or like narcissistic but I was on like a hero's journey like I was on my own process of changing and you know we do that session and then we work on it for a while we and I was working with my friend Kai who when I met him he was the backing singer for Barry Manilow when I toured with, with him. And I was going and getting vocal lessons above a gay sex shop in West Hollywood. You know, I'd go at like 11 in the morning and and we'd sing and work on what the lyrics meant, like why words were important, why less words were important, what were we trying to do? How do you develop it? You know, all the same shit that the Korean bands do, uh, yeah. as you were talking about on the yeah.
0: earlier episode. Uh, You're talking about uh, training your voice and things like that. Did you already have the vision as far as vocals, like that raspy? It's difficult to explain because it sounds angry, but when you hear the lyrics, the lyrics don't make it angry. (laughs) If if that makes sense. No, it
1: does. My girlfriend even called me Morose the other night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you were working towards? Or did it just come out and you're like, shit, this is it? I do what I do where songs come from.
1: When we started working on that song in rehearsal space, the parts were Mm -hmm. reversed. At one point, we're like, this song sucks. We're not going to fucking record it. But we'll give it one last try. Play the chorus part first. And the verse part will be the chorus. Let's try that. Like, I mean, there's a demo somewhere of me saying, that's this is the last time or we're fucking killing it. And then we're at the end of the demo, we're like, we're going to record that song. And, <laughs> and the kind of concepts were there. But when I started working with Kai, it's where kind of the spiritual growth, the lyrics came from. I had friends pass away during this time, a, a photographer that took a lot of the photos that you see from the studio, and especially in Stinson Beach. Uh, was from this guy named Emery Becker, and that's the photographer in uh, La Ventana. And the photographer is a beautiful guy. A little bit would come here, and a little bit would come here. And I used to live in Hollywood, so I would walk in Beechwood Canyon and hike every day and listen to it and work on my voice and just kind of... We did bass, and then I had to go and do my career. And then Peter went on tour with Tycho. Things had time to really develop and grow. We didn't just kick this thing gotcha. out. We set on it. When we recorded people's long parts or noises that went into it, we allowed that to be part of the process. When I went back through and started trying to like program drums for these possible live shows, there is so much noise in the V drums and shit. Weird ghosts that kind of carry over that were caught on microphones here and there. Like it's now December of 2017 and I need to get some more work done on this record. And This is my only time because I have to work and records are not cheap, man. It is a fucking war to get this shit done. <laughs> of scheduling, of people's personalities, of your personality, trying to be a human being in the world is fucking hard enough as it is these days. Very true. I at least got to do this before that fucking started really burning. So Peter lives in Berkeley. He had recorded at this place called Panoramic House in Stinson Beach. That brought up like two things people needed to travel in, including myself and everybody. Joshua Tree is secluded, but there's a grocery store right there. Stinson yeah. Beach, there's no fucking grocery store. So, you know, you know, we had my dog Diego that was there with us. And the first thing was, was to have Chris fly out. And now we have our bass and drums and scratches and he's got his notes. You know, the piano is recorded there. We allowed it to kind of get weird. That lines alone, how it starts. He plays the the Mellotron, but in order to make the octave drop between i kill you and the next song we had to get from this note to this note yeah when you know you're going to do an interlude but you don't know how it sounds yet well i grabbed the pitch shift and wobbled it in and out in time and then dropped it and we did that drop three ways so it wasn't like that was like two people working together on it now i am not a fucking keyboard player Chris Caswell is a we asked him if you want to play theremin and he's like I don't want to play theremin because the most embarrassing day of my life in the studio is when Brian Wilson was trying to explain to me how to play theremin and oh. I couldn't play theremin Jesus and God. you know we'd work really hard and we'd be in nature we walk around and and you see a lot of this big magical house and in, in the liner notes uh mm-hmm. of the of the album, not of Spotify, because Spotify doesn't do that because they don't really yeah. expect music. <laughs> they just want your goddamn money. It's very true. Don't forget to download and like, because we're yeah. probably on Spotify right now. Yeah. And follow the Gamma Senen, please.
0: At the Gamma Senen. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Um, La Ventana and the Photographer, this really short little ballad song that was going to make the record, but we had to make it fit. And Chris started asking me to play guitar with him while he was recording Whirly or something. Those two instrumental sections mm-hmm. are the beginning and end, the book that bookmarked that song. They started yeah. as just Chris and I, one take together playing. You should spend so much time on all this stuff, you're going to make a narrative about it. So it became yeah. this kind of like, I kill you lines alone without, it's the altitude, it means something, and then you have to put the other record on and it's a trigger finger like a wake up and then this floaty space and got it made and then you flip the record over again and it feels like you're leaving i'm a decent guitar player i I could pat myself on the back about a million other things it shouldn't be my guitar playing i had called dimitri coats who was in the burning brides that alarma used to play with and we used to party with back in the day and he's in a band called off with keith morris Dimitri is a, a amazing guitar player and a talented man. He worked with Mark Lanigan. He's toured with,
0: yeah, he's yeah. toured with. Played with Chris Cornell. White Stripes, I think. Yeah. And just a ton of,
1: yeah. Great guy, talented player. And I called him at the last minute and I was like, look, man, I need a guitar player for a session. Can you fly out? So I gave him the songs. So mm-hmm. he just goes through and plays and you don't really have to worry about cleaning it up so much. We got our sound. We're kind of slow going through it, smoking weed and having fun. And and then we get this call for the studio manager john and he's like listen man city just said that they're gonna roll blackouts so at any point power could shut off and it'll get turned back on whenever so instead of like spending a lot of time like we just did making sure we had the right synth sound or whatever the hell we were working on all of a sudden it became like get it done sloppy and quick and the sound Mm -hmm. that we have going we're going to use for the whole record and you know dimitri is such a talent that would just be like, okay, next song. It, it goes like this. He even said he didn't even listen to the songs that much when he showed up. So, and that's what we wanted. Every time we went to someone, we wanted to get their first listen and get like the rawest version of them. I grew up listening to soundtrack music. Blade Runner soundtrack is one of my favorite pieces of music next to Miles Davis' Bitches Brew.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, Vangelis is one of my biggest influences as well.
1: I like Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth. Yeah. These are my my heroes. I just wanted it to be weird and dark and sexy. It just kind of happened naturally. We built it up. We made sure words mattered. We made sure that the guitar parts were great and free flowing. We had a really great base layer, and then the narrative of the record came into play as Kai and I would work really hard. You know, this was a big collective project. I hope I get the chance to make another record of this size again. COVID kind of did what COVID did to the world, but it's out there and, it, and it's great.
0: going to at some point be able to tour this. Album. I mean,
1: if I start getting back to work like I used to, mm-hmm. it would be a lot easier to be able to start putting it together and then getting the following that would hopefully happen because you know, you're a music fan and you found this thing and you've connected to it and that You know, you don't buy that on a Facebook ad. You don't buy that on an Instagram. I hope so, that was the plan. Cause
0: this is definitely, you can tell listening to this, that this would be a whole new beast live.
1: It's like, you go back and forth and you do it. And then like, when we brought Art Pacheco in, he played with like Robin Thicke and people like that. Poppy guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever, man. Things pay the bills. Absolutely. He did all the percussion work. 50 second mark could be that seven minute Opus not even an opus just like a a narrative of your mind because that was like written in Costa Rica while I was on acid, you know And it was supposed to be about figuring out the breakdown of your life and then making sense of everything right because that's what the Narrative of this record is and that's why that guy sent me this message the other day on Instagram about how he went out to Joshua Tree and he was like he needed to go on a vision quest and he listened to the record from front to start and it's like found something else in the record. I'll never get that from playing the social media game and that to me yeah. means that people are going to connect to it. I may be sitting on a 100 or 200 or whatever amount of records that I still have and I may not get a million plays on Spotify every day or care but I know when people do find this, it'll be okay. And like, I watched that movie Waiting for Sugarman, in the <laughs> middle of making this record. And I was like, this is the scariest horror film I've ever seen in my <laughs> entire fucking life. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is my fucking nightmare that I'll be yeah. doing drywall again. I'll play it in a sold out show in my seventies to some country I've never heard of before. <laughs> you know?
0: Like, yeah. But if that yeah. happens, I mean- Make it so. <laughs> It's gotta be a good feeling that through all that crap, you still, you made this really great piece of art that people love.
1: No, it feels good, man. I mean, this guy connected to it and it's exactly the, the journey that I went on. Song by song, like I Kill You, that's about destroying yourself and being angry, mm-hmm. right? And when I was in Alarma, that time period of my life, I was literally trying to destroy myself. I was gotcha. angry yeah. and emotional and like, you know, and that's what this is about. Like, if everything doesn't matter, who cares? You know, and that type of behavior is a frequency and it's wrong. Lines alone, the rifts of that came from that era or whatever, you know? and. You know, Dimitri made that thing like a fucking snake dance. It became something
0: completely different. Well, but the lyrics make it that too. Not just the lyrics, the singing's outstanding on that. Whiskey, whiny, I follow that you do. It's, It's fantastic. Well, thank you. That song lines alone is about being trapped in
1: your own house of horrors. You're in the destructive period. You know, like, yeah, I lived in this this apartment and there was this old house from the 20s that was decrepit and falling apart and like i lived there for like seven years i may have saw the guy that lived there in his robe once taken out the trash like totally like the burbs right Mm -hmm. and eventually when i I came back from tour or something one time there was like a corner on the street and apparently the guy died and he'd been in the house for so long that his body like became soup and Jesus. they figured out that there were squatters there the police came to kick the squatters out and it was this clearly miserable angry old dude that wavy song that we were just talking about how he made it my girlfriend and i had always called it like soupy's theme because it oh, was like because he was an angry miserable old man that died alone yeah and i was angry and miserable and lashing out, and especially when it comes to that song. So Lines Alone was about like you went and you were this angry person that went to this party fueled with anger and took too much and holy shit, like it's about to get real. And then you flip it over and it's like without and it's the altitude. That's your other choice. Like if you choose to see what life would be like without all of this nonsense and you getting in the way of yourself, something will come and destroy the old version of you. And then you could go and get into... Trigger finger, the things that set you off about how you beat yourself up again. Uh, La Ventana and the photographer about how things always fall apart and why. And like To me, that song is literally tripping balls in Costa Rica, walking naked on the beach. Got it made is get up and get out and like stop, be- you know, suck you out of that. And let's start talking about your ego. Then premonitions, pen pals. 50 Second Mark is like the new, you know, that was like the breakup song that I wrote time to talk and sit down and stop. And that the person had made up their mind. And really, by the end of the record, it wasn't about anybody else anymore. It was about I had to stop and I had to put these things down. And why did it happen? The spoken word part. And then like the big outro chorus of have you ever been loved? And that to me was like the big Part of my journey is like realizing what the meaning of love was, my bad reactions to it when it was ever presented to me. So it's nice to hear people say it's a journey. I made this thing because I had to make it. Mm -hmm. And when it's connecting to people on a real level, I appreciate it because I really put as much of me into this thing. And again, it's not me, it's we, Peter Franco. The record would not have been the same without him. I have nothing but respect to the vibe that he brought to the record in addition to every single person that played or helped me with the art or took photos or cooked a meal or all yeah. these things, you know, and there's like a picture on the wall in the master bedroom in Stinson Beach where like it overlooked the whole beach in this picturesque place. And then the photos are in the inserts. If you want to be a better musician, you know, you have to be a better human being. A lot of musicians, myself included, especially of my generation, we were brought up on like All the good ones did a ton of drugs. Turns out that that doesn't help at all. You know, like, it just doesn't get it done, you know? It's hard to be
0: waking up angry. Our heroes, because I'm pretty much the same age as you, and our heroes were making pretty angry music back in the early 90s, but look at how long that lasted before they all died. I mean, look,
1: Pearl Jam is a great band, but we're fucking stuck with Pearl Jam. Like, you know, like late my the guitar player that played with an (laughs) alternator this guy named brian murphy he used to party with with lane they all used to do dope together i never got into that but he would tell me about you know being at mad season or green green um, green river green river yes he used to go to the sessions with that you know and like you know he had met dave jordan before and dave jordan dave didn't remember meeting brian because he was on like 60 vicodins a day you know Lots of fucking bands didn't survive and why? Because like they weren't equipped mentally, you know. Like I think as artists, we tend to destroy ourselves thinking that it'll help us create. At some point, you don't know when you've gone too far. And if you've gone if you think you're there, you're probably already too far. I mean, you know, like yeah. it just doesn't work. Rock and roll is supposed to be dangerous. And I'm down with that. And I think there needs to be a danger. But like, we're not all Jack Nicholson. We can't do cocaine for fucking 45 years and like make it out on top. And, you know, I wish that was the case. Um, But (laughs) it's not. It's just fucking, it just fucking isn't. We don't have shining money.
0: The artwork for the album, particularly the cover. Yeah. It it derived from a picture, which looks like, is it Joshua Tree or is it?
1: That photo is the last photo that we took of this light painting session at my friend Kate McCabe's house. Kate kidnapped Kate. So Kate McCabe is a legendary, beautiful photographer of the Joshua Tree community. This photo on the cover was taken at Kate's house. I had these two light painting bars, and I like ran out in the long exposure, and that was taken in one shot. And then Joby, who did the layout artwork, made it look a little kind of glitchy and distorted. But that was a photo taken in real time.
0: You had this whole album, what each song is about. But you talk about a song like I Kill You, which is sounds like it's much older than some of the other ones on the album. With a song like I Kill You that is that can be upwards of six years old, do the lyrics evolve? Yeah. Did you change them a lot?
1: They have to evolve. I think it's done when you send a mix and really when it's mastered. You know, so like the worst conversations I've ever been in creatively is when I go... Oh, no, no, it has to be that. Uh, I wrote that song at a different time. Finding your niche and how to make things work. Like I wrote that song, like it came out that day.
0: Things grow and they always should. You went a lot through the hopeful future of this and if you'd be able to tour with it or not. Future-wise, as far as projects, are you looking at anything else? Are you still hoping to continue with this and and touring with it at some point? <laughs>
1: It's like Austin Powers, right? You got to get your fucking mojo back. 20, <laughs> 2020 was a fucking. Whoo, it's like yeah. there's no point in therapy anymore because these motherfuckers don't have the answer, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, try explaining to people what you do. <laughs> try and explain that to loan officers, you know, like, yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, yes, there is a future up. Oh, somebody is. Oh, wow. Keith <laughs> that's funny uh Keith Morris is calling me right now from the circle jerks
0: oh wow
1: yeah uh, not bad it's all good yeah Keith <laughs> Morris is calling me uh so I will answer that later um well we're trying to put on a benefit show for my friend Jeff Keith is one of those guys you know he's you know the last time I ever played on a stage Jeff was my bass player uh, so we're trying to do a benefit show with the Bronx and maybe the Circle Jerks or D- Keith will DJ and, and, you know, Pete Stahl being in the Earthlings, you know, raise some money for him and his family as a two year old. And
0: uh, didn't you say there is a is there a GoFundMe or something like that? Yeah, it's do you in know, my do link you know in the is? link
1: tree. There's a. Um, there's the uh, support Jeff signs recovery fund in my link tree. Awesome. Go there, and or you could go to at fashion before friends. That is Monica Cooper's uh, Instagram page. Uh, she is his fiance.
0: I think I've got it on here. It's a meal train. Yep,
1: that's um, it. But fashion before friends is uh, Monica's page, and there's a bunch of links.
0: So for everybody listening, I found it just going to Gamasenin's Instagram at the Gama Gamasenin G A M A S E N N I N. It's the first thing on the link tree. So if you just go there, it'll it'll yeah, take you directly there. You know, there.
1: I of course would love it if you bought my record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you know, uh, and got the vinyl but uh if you were to decide between supporting my band and buying my record and uh donating to jeff's fund if you donate the same amount of money it costs me to send one of these things out i i'll just send you a record if you can prove it to um
0: oh wow that's very cool
1: jeff is a brother of mine he you know we are very lucky to still have him on this planet I do understand that uh, the past year has been very tough for many, 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 many different reasons for a lot of different people. And everybody's mm-hmm. journey with COVID has been uh, unique. If you could share and help Jeff and his family, I'd really appreciate it. But
0: that's fantastic. Of course, I've, I love to try to, help out there and and anybody listening do both go to the link tree give to that and buy the vinyl just do both i'm i'm telling i'm telling (laughs) you know the people that that for some reason still listen to this this is a really really great vinyl and for vinyl collectors for people that actually collect vinyl you know how rare that is nowadays for an album to come out nowadays that actually sounds like it was built for vinyl and the, <laughs>
1: it and <it's> was not. <laughs> it was built for it was built for vinyl and acid
0: you can you can <laughs> tell the second that you put this vinyl on how different it sounds than just going on to like fucking Spotify or something like that. It's a completely different feel. It's a beautiful vinyl. The wrapping is amazing the liner notes. Best way to word it be to say that this vinyl is so worth your money. it it really is
1: well thank you i i am very humbled um and honored for you to say all those things it really thank you very much it it puts a huge smile on my face and uh you know it's it's nice a lot of work went into this and just getting it pressed in 2020 was like a miracle (laughs) in itself and i'm a big fan of jack white i'm not just a fan of jack white musically you know uh Mm -hmm. i'm a fan of what he's been able to do for music what he's done for the industry has been really really remarkable i mean like reissuing all the chess record stuff and his third man vault series i mean i was a subscriber for a long time until i realized i think i had like 90 copies (laughs) of ball and a biscuit from every venue (laughs) in the entire fucking country and uh (laughs) it's heavy you know like it's a real packaging you know is really hard Mm -hmm. tension spans aren't that long where people want to put their money is tough Mm -hmm. i believe in that from a punk rock ethos of every person in the crowd is just as important as every tech on behind the scenes and singer in the band you know they may not get the credit but without the crowd there's no show without the people that do the show there's no show without the singer there's no show people trying to make a record fucking keep going through it plow through it if you don't think your bass player is the right guy or a guitar player is the right guy or not putting the energy fuck them move on get your drums recorded get your bass recorded fuck them move on too many people oh man now i'm drunk so now you're gonna hear it too many people (laughs) these days are so fucking wrapped up in their own goddamn feelings that they forget that you're a part of a fucking community and your little fucking vanity project, which is the Gamma Senen for me... Get it, matter if you don't create a community of people that believe you. You want a participation trophy? Go fucking join an AYSO league. But like <laughs> anyway,
0: yeah. That's that's very well put. <laughs> I've got one more album question for you. Okay. And then we'll let you get to your uh, your hockey. The album, it weaves this really cool way. And it's very hooky, but it's also a little bit eerie. There's a little bit of a, I don't know, like the word twisted kind of comes to mind every <laughs> once in a while when I hear this. I even compared a little bit of it to the Hollywood era Marilyn Manson stuff. Do you think that that was a vision that you had coming in? Or did that just kind of start to birth during production?
1: Look, I'll be perfectly honest with you when I was on tour with Shakira, there were two nicknames for me. One was Shady and the other was Trashy. (laughs) And and they worked. (laughs) So when I tell you that Lines Alone was like a man in his own haunted house, Uh that's what my mind was to me for a long, long fucking time. So I wanted to make a record like granddaddy's software slump. Okay, You know, the record as a whole needed a mantra, dark, sexy, and driven. And if it sounds dark and twisted, it's really just coming out of me. (laughs) And it wasn't anything. The only intention that was ever set about this record was to do something authentic. If it sounds twisted and dark and weird and it goes to the light and it goes back to the darkness, yeah, man, I mean... (laughs) I,
0: I think that's awesome i mean
1: <laughs> it's a, the balance of all of that and the twists and turns i've always been inspired by that like and even my girlfriend the other day when i talk about stuff she's like why are you always so goddamn morose and i'm like what the fuck it's 2021 as i said it's like it was like spinal tap it's like it's just <laughs> one more
0: Oh, it's hard. And I mean, it's, you know, it's hard not to be morose, if especially if you're at, at the very least somewhat of a realist. I mean, you <laughs> I've know, <gotten> better. <laughs> well, and it's funny because it's talking to you. like I get a very positive vibe from you. Thank you. But you can definitely listening to the music and stuff. You can't. You're like, oh, this guy's got a fucking dark side. And I mean that in a good way, because I think a lot of art comes from that. You can't just be. Super all depressed all the time, or super happy all the time, and and makes just good, not that's... fun. Who no. wants to be
1: that? Who wants to be anything yeah. all the time? I mean, yes, I love weirdos. I'm all about people being their, their authentic self, and hopefully that self doesn't require you to have your own fucking parade of feelings. <laughs> but anyway,
0: my last plug for this album is that I am a big fan of my my Friday nights. I like to get home. I like to put on a vinyl, I like to grab a nice scotch, and I just like to sit in in a really comfortable chair, turn the lights down, and let the album play and this is this is thank it's you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a total experience from the very beginning to the very end it really does take you on a journey
1: well, thank you and thank you and thank you and I mean it's very uh it's really nice to know that I did something that connects to somebody, to anybody. So I'm very, very grateful. And uh, that gratitude comes from a very authentic place. I made a record so that somebody could get stoned in whatever way they like to get stoned and sit down and enjoy it. And if yeah. you could sneak in a little like uh, 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 with your sexual <laughs> friend of, of choice, <laughs> go for it, you know? It's a song for
0: everybody. <laughs> I think that that's the perfect sentiment to end this. Uh, Kevin, it, w- it was just amazing talking to you. You're a fascinating person. I really... I honestly do wish you the best of luck with this. Thanks, I, I really do feel that at some point this is going to, it's going to get bigger than it is now. I don't see how it doesn't. g a m a s e n n i n dot ncom His Instagram is the same thing, just at the Gamasenin. I've said it enough. Self-titled album is incredible. You heard all the names he listed off that, that worked on this. It's incredible stuff. Brilliant. Come back next week. We are going to do a band dissection. Rachel and I are going to talk about one of my biggest influences and just an overall fascinating story in Joy Division. Ooh. So, yeah. Once again, Kevin, thank you so much. Yeah, man. You- I want to come
1: on again. And I like when you're talking about K pop, you're like, what was the name of that? It was like, how to tell you that you're wrong? Here's
0: where you're wrong. I want
1: to be on a panel discussion of here's where you're wrong.
0: <laughs> we'll, we will. We'll have you on. You let me know. Sure. I'm down.
1: I, have a, <laughs> okay. I want to be a panelist on why you're wrong.
0: That would be That would be a blast. <laughs> all right, Kevin, uh, have fun picking hockey players. I hope
1: I get Connor McDavid. Motherfuck. Give me that little Don't we fucking all? Canadian little fucking redneck. <laughs> give me that Edmonton redneck. <laughs> Thanks dude. I really honestly it's been a joy because I'm not pushing this thing at all right now. I'm I'm trying to get back on my feet and and then get guys in a room to play some local shows. I don't even know how you found my band, but you did. And I'm grateful that you did. Thanks for connecting
0: with the music, man, and having me on to talk to... The- Absolutely. I hope... We, yeah, I mean, I don't hope. We are, we'll are. we see you live someday. It'll happen.
1: It's going to happen, dude. Look at this. This thing yeah. is stacked up on itself. It's, there's, so much, yeah. there's so much loudness. Ready to... It's just ready to leash. Go. It's so ready. <laughs> it's so ready. I'm going to come in 15 seconds that day. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Good luck to you. Thanks, man.